Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts chapter 4, verse 1. And they were speaking to the people, the priests... As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, um, just a little bit of background information. Uh, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees... um, basically arrested them. Uh, It was late in the day. They wanted to kind of put them on trial. They wanted to investigate why they were saying the things that they were saying and um, where these messages were coming from and by what power that they claimed to be healing people with. Um, And also it really bothered them that they were preaching about resurrection, especially the group of the Sadducees. Sadducees did not believe in resurrection from the dead. They did not believe that that was possible. They did not believe that God did that. And so here comes this group of of men who were preaching about Jesus having been resurrected from the dead. And they were also preaching how we could be raised from dead and see eternal life. And so they were like, this, this is disrupting everything we're trying to tell people. This is disrupting our message. This is disrupting our power over the people. And so we need to capture these guys and get them off the street because they're messing up what we're trying to do. So that's a little of what's going on. So they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So Peter had completed his sermon, and uh, here the Sadducees and the temple guard and the priests, they were upset by it, so they're arresting them. But God had already done his work through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 5,000 people saved. 5,000 men, it says, were saved. Now, that doesn't necessarily include all the women. So there's probably a a large possibility that a large number of other women were saved in addition to these men. So a lot more than 5,000 people probably were saved on that day, came to believe in Jesus Christ. So let's see what happens next. In verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. So this is the religious establishment. This is the religious elite the, uh, the, trained, um, uh, the trained people that had positions of responsibility and authority from within uh, the, the church, basically. Um, and it was the Jewish leaders. They gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, so they took Peter and John, kind of put them in the middle of this room, and they were surrounded by all these religious leaders who were going to interrogate them about their message. So they placed them in the center, and they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today, for a benefit done to a sick man as to 
how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. So they were kind of putting him on trial and wondering by what power did they use to heal this lame man. And, and so Peter's response was, um, was by the name of Jesus Christ. We healed this man. But also notice this, you know, if you're on trial and there's a bunch of people that may potentially um, um, punish you, or in this case, uh, people were stoned for being false prophets and false teachers, they were probably looking at the potential of either being jailed, um, being uh, severely beaten or killed as a result of um, having been arrested by the religious elite. Well, you'll notice that Peter uh, did not hesitate with his boldness. He said, this Jesus, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom you crucified. So he's now pointing fingers at all these people who've arrested him. You guys are the ones that killed this man, the religious elite. Now, just I'd like to preface, uh, just stop there and just add a little note just by way of reminder that um, it was literally by the hands of the Jews and the leaders of that day that Jesus was crucified. But spiritually speaking, Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for sin. So spiritually speaking, we all bear responsibility for the crucifixion of Jesus. It is our sin that he took to the cross. When we consider the, the pain and the suffering and the consequence of sin, we look to the cross and we see the suffering of Jesus Christ and we see the true consequences of our sin. The consequences of our sin cost the life of the Son of God. But if it wasn't for the life of the Son of God, we would not have hope. So let's keep reading. So he tells them, It was by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this name, this man stands here before you in good health. Then speaking about Jesus in verse 11, Peter says this, and this is a quote from Psalm 118. In Psalm 118, God had already prophesied how uh, there was going to be this stone that the builders reject. It was a little bit of an analogy. It was, re it was a reference to the temple. And uh, in the construction of the temple, you and there, there's going to be a cornerstone, usually a a cornerstone is kind of that stone that you set at the very beginning. It's the stone that you pull all your lines from to make sure that the whole building is square and to make sure that everything is built properly. It's the first stone that you set, the one stone that everything is built off of, this cornerstone. And he's saying this stone which the builders rejected is Jesus Christ, meaning the cornerstone for the house of God, the cornerstone for the people of God, the rock of salvation, the one that all of our lives is supposed to be built on, was rejected by you. God sent Jesus Christ. He was going to be, he, was your, he is your hope. He is your salvation and you rejected him. And then he says this in verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter is giving his defense. So it sounds a little bit like a sermon, but that's his defense. He's been arrested. And now he's preaching the gospel in his own defense. He's saying, you killed the son of God, 
But this has been prophesied from long ago. The stone that the builders rejected, this is Jesus Christ. And it is that stone that is here to give us all life, including all of you who crucified Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Now, it's good to understand which Jesus we're talking about. The name of Jesus Christ, uh, this is a reference to uh, uh, the, the person and the power of Jesus. Who Jesus is is incredibly important. The Jesus that we read about in God's word, the way that God speaks of Jesus Christ, the way that God reveals who Jesus is, that's the Jesus that we're speaking of. And the power of Jesus is a reference to all that Jesus can accomplish by the power of his blood on the cross. By trusting in Jesus, that is our salvation. Trusting in who Jesus is as the Son of God and our Savior and trusting in what Jesus has done by dying on the cross to pay the price for our sins and trusting that his blood is sufficient to cover all of my sins, past, present, and future. Trusting in Jesus Christ is how we can know salvation. Now, there's in our culture, there are a lot of versions of Jesus. right? So if you're trusting in a Jesus who is not the God, but maybe just a God, then you're not trusting in this Jesus that Peter's talking about. If you're trusting in a Jesus that is an angel, which is a creation of God, then you're not trusting in this Jesus, because scripture clearly uh, portrays Jesus as God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and had the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's John chapter 1. So he is God. If he is just a prophet, he's not an angel, he's not God, but he's just a prophet. If that's the Jesus that you're trusting in, then you're not trusting in the Jesus of God's word. So Peter is crying out and saying, this Jesus, the Nazarene is the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the one that's been sent to be our savior. He is God. And he paid the price for our sins. Trust in him. He is our salvation. All right. So with all that in mind, that's, that's their defense. Now, here's what I'd like to uh, kind of point out to you uh, this morning. There's a few things that God does through the apostles in this scenario. The first thing I want to point out is that God empowers his people with boldness and confidence to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. As believers, God gives us boldness. God gives us confidence and the ability to proclaim the name of Jesus. I want you to see what happens um, as, as a result of Peter's defense. He's basically, and then, you know, this wasn't a super complicated message. He said, Jesus came, you killed him, but he's your savior. It's pretty simple. Look at verse 13. It says this. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So the religious leaders, they recognized that uh, Peter and John were the part of the group that were following Jesus around and were with Jesus Christ. But also there was this recognizable courage. There was a recognizable boldness. There was a recognizable confidence in these men that they couldn't ignore. 
All the religious leaders were a little bit in awe of the confidence of these men, especially considering, considering that they considered them to be uneducated and untrained. They considered them to be somewhat ignorant. Now, I believe Peter and John were definitely not ignorant people. They were actually uh, well-educated, and these men probably um, uh, knew pro more of God's word at this point than some of, the, uh, some of the religious leaders did, or at least understood it more because the Spirit of God was within them, giving them understanding. And that's to me, is the key to this, is that as they, they were, there was a recognizable confidence and boldness, and it wasn't because these men had good religious training. It wasn't because these men were raised up in, um, in the religious schools and prepared to be um, leaders of the people spiritually, but it was only because the presence of the Holy Spirit was empowering them. The presence of the Holy Spirit inside them gave them the ability to boldly and confidently tell the story of Jesus. And I believe that God gives us as believers, since the same Holy Spirit dwells within us, we are given boldness and confidence enough to tell the story of Jesus. God can use any of us this same way to proclaim, to simply proclaim the story of Jesus Christ. Then we see that God changes minds and hearts. And I'd like you to see, in, starting in verse 14, uh, what it says about um, the culture of this time and uh, that came kind of as a reaction to what God was doing, changing the hearts of people. So let's look at verse 14. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. All right, so... The religious leaders put Peter and John on trial. Peter gave his defense. He shared the gospel. You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. It's only by his name that you can be saved. And uh, the, the scribes and the religious leaders and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees and the, um, and the chief priests, they were all standing around and they were kind of saying to one another, man, these guys are pretty confident. These guys are bold. Where's that coming from? These guys aren't trained. These guys aren't educated. And then look at this, look at this man that they healed. What do we say about that? They can't accuse them of lying about having the power to heal somebody because they actually did heal somebody. So they're sitting there kind of wondering what in the world is going on with these guys because in all of their religious and scholarly power, they did not have the ability to heal this man. They couldn't done it, hadn't done it. In fact, they probably had walked past this guy every day for their entire life for 40 years as they had gone in and out of that temple walked past the same guy begging for alms and hadn't stopped to heal him but here comes these new guys and they reach out and grab him by the hand and tell him to stand up in the name of jesus christ and he gets up walking and leaping and praising the lord without seemingly a whole lot of effort and here the religious leaders go what do we do about that but they weren't in awe as if to say, hey, teach us what you know or help us to understand what we missed. They feel threatened and they believe that now they're losing their grip over the people and their authority over the people. They believe that they're losing their ability to manipulate the people with fear because now the people are trusting in God and they don't need these religious leaders anymore. They're saying we don't. They're, they're bypassing them on their way to God. They're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Everybody's supposed to stop here on their way to God. 
Everybody's supposed to come to me for permission to talk to God and to find righteousness and hope. We're the ones that give that out. And so now they're getting really upset and they're getting really mad. Look at verse 14. Seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another. So they're kind of, they're, they're having a little meeting. In verse 16, saying, what shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. All right. So the work of God was undeniable. They saw a miracle and they couldn't escape it. And then it says this, verse 17, so that it will not, but so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. So they said, let's warn them to not talk about this anymore to anybody else. And then they said this, Verse 18, and when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John are being commanded by the religious leaders, the men who claimed to fear God. And Peter and John, who do fear God, who do love God, and believe that Jesus Christ is their Savior, have been preaching the gospel 120 people gathered together in the upper room that were believers. 3,000 people added to that and another 5,000 plus people added to that. Well over 8,000 people at this point coming to believe in Jesus Christ. God-fearing people and Peter and John being obedient to the Lord. And here their, their quote-unquote religious leaders are telling them to stop. Stop doing what you're doing. You're messing everything up. All right, but I want you to notice something interesting. I think that um, just from the standpoint that God changes the heart, hearts and minds with the gospel, there were a couple of really big influences over all the people at this point. One, it was the religious establishment had a huge, the Jewish religious establishment had a huge influence over all the people. Uh, they, they were leading the people to fear God, but their righteousness was attainable. Their right standing with God was only found by good works, by being obedient to the law perfectly. But the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, they had added to God's law. They had adapted God's law. They built into God's law hundreds of things that people had to do in order to meet God's, um, in order to meet God's approval, which made it impossible for anyone to ever measure up to righteousness. And even if the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders had not added anything to it, and they had just stuck to God's law, God's law alone serves to show us our need for a savior. As much as we attempt to obey God's law, every single day we try to obey God's law, we find ourselves falling short of God's law. We find ourselves at the end of the day saying, I am a sinner. I have failed miserably. And I have rebelled against God in my heart and in my mind and in my actions, and I deserve to be punished. And that's the truth. And that's the truth. And God's law shows us that. And it hurts. And it creates a sense of guilt and a sense of shame and a sense of hopelessness. That's where the law brings us. 
And the law shows us that we are in desperate need of being made right with God, but we can't do it ourselves. And the religious leaders were only pointing people back to the law over and over again, hopelessness upon hopelessness. But now Peter and John are changed. They, they are showing them that the, the animal sacrifices that they were supposed to give for the forgiveness of their sins were a picture of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to save the world. And people were being freed. The religious leaders had a huge influence over the people, and people were believing lies. They were believing that Jesus was not their Savior at this point. There were people that were still believing in the wrong things. And then also, in addition to that, there was uh, the Roman government that had a huge, Roman civilization, Roman culture, had a huge influence over all the people that were influencing people toward a lifestyle of immorality and emperor worship. So all the people were, were incredibly affected by false teaching, by, uh, by a culture that was leading them in rebellion against God. And they had been systematically taught from the time that they were born to live a certain way and to believe certain things that were, that, that, to believe that certain things were okay that were not okay. And they were living that way. So they were living in a culture and a society where falsehood was widely accepted, where falsehood was widely accepted. And now that the truth is being told, the truth is considered dangerous. Truth is considered dangerous. And not only that, falsehood was enforced. Falsehood was enforced by the law, not only the cultural law, but religious law. It was enforced, and, and the truth was not just considered dangerous. The truth was silenced. There were concerted efforts to silence the truth. But what's interesting about that is in the midst of all, you think that a culture that's that affected by false teaching and people that are walking that much in rebellion against God and people that are so bound up in a false religion that is leading them to, um, to death, um, these people... You would think it'd be impossible to get through to them. But these men stood on a rooftop and they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and thousands of people were saved. And it wasn't because Peter used good words. And it wasn't because Peter was just a great preacher. You know, we certainly have had a lot of really great preachers throughout, the, throughout history. But if people are genuinely saved through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not because people are great preachers. It's because the Holy Spirit of God chose to use those people to communicate that message and to lead people's hearts to the truth. God was at work. Obviously, God was at work when Peter was preaching. 120, I just thought when 120 people gathered in the upper room on that first night, well, that's a lot of people. That's pretty amazing that there were that many believers, right? Shortly after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's a lot of new converts right off the bat. But then there was 3,000. Well, that's, that's a whole lot of people. I can't even comprehend what it would be like to preach the gospel and see 3,000 people get saved on the same day. And then to do it again and see five more thousand people get saved. 
And that's not because Peter was a good preacher. It was because Jesus was at work. And so this is the point that I really wanted to show you is that even though there was this concerted effort to silence the gospel because the gospel was considered dangerous, God was at work through the simple communication of Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ. God was changing hearts and minds. And I just would like to encourage the believers in the room, if you guys are considering what it means to share your faith with people and to tell people about the Savior that saved you, it's good to be filled with confidence that that it is God who saves souls and it's the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ that has the power to save those people. You don't have the power to save those people. So it's not really up to you. You can share the gospel and if God wants to save their heart, he'll save their heart. And you think, I don't know that I can get through to them. Their heart is so hard. They believe things that just seem so false. I can't really reason with them. Logic doesn't really seem to work. I try to talk about the history of the Bible. We can't really carry on a conversation that long. And you just think there are so many roadblocks to getting through to this person. I don't know that it's possible. Well, I would like to encourage you this morning to believe that it's possible. Don't allow the darkness that's in the hearts of the, your loved ones or your friends, or your co-workers, or even your enemies, lead you to believe that God can't change their heart and mind. God can still change their heart and mind. Even in a culture that is, that is being manipulated by indoctrination, and false teaching, and propaganda, you think, I, my voice is just one in the midst of thousands. How is it my voice going to matter? Well, it's not your voice. It's the voice of the Lord in the word of God. And it is powerful enough to, to push past all the other voices and change hearts and minds. And I wanted to encourage you guys with that. So these guys, uh, Peter and John, were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they were warned, do not speak any longer in this name. And then I wanted to kind of point this out. Uh, that God will not be silenced. And I think it's really good to remember that. God cannot be silenced and God will not be silenced. This is what they were told. In verse 19, it says, Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Whether, listen to that. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. Now, first of all, He's looking, at, he's looking at religious leaders who claim to fear God, right? So he's saying, all right, should I listen to God or should I listen to you? Which one is it? Because God's telling us to do this, but you're telling us something different. So which one of us should we obey? And so the reason that he said, you be the judge is because he knew that they had no choice but to say, well, you have to obey God, of course. You have to obey God. And that's because he was speaking to religious people, right? Um, so he's basically kind of saying, hey, you know, we're being obedient to the Lord. We have to give heed to God. And then in verse 20, he says, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and what we've heard. Now, you know, we, we live in a culture, you know, maybe there's not as many God-fearing people uh, well, I don't know. You look at, you read world history and it ebbs and flows. Um, but with the culture that we live in, there are God-fearing people around us. They're probably not going to be the ones to command us 
not to speak. They might try. There are some people that claim to be believers in God that might not like the way that we preach the gospel. And they're going to come to us and say, you know what? You guys are doing it wrong and you need to stop. And then our response should be, um, I'm going to be obedient to the Lord. I'm going to listen to the Lord and not man. I'm not going to fear man. I'm going to fear the Lord. But then we also deal with a culture that doesn't really seem to fear God. So I'm not really going to ask them to be the judge because I know that they're not going to be a good judge of that. They're not going to make a good. If I say, hey, you be the judge, they're going to be like, no, you need to listen to me. Right? So, and I think that's why I think Peter was, it was, Peter already knew how they were going to respond. He was not really putting it in their hands because regardless of how they responded, he was going to be obedient to God. He had already made up his mind. He had already decided we can't stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. We've seen the resurrection, resurrected Jesus Christ. We've heard the message of the truth and we're going to preach it. So God will not be silenced. This is less about Peter and John's boldness and confidence and their willingness to keep preaching the gospel and more about God's um, willingness to make sure that his message gets to all the world and he will, not any, he will not allow any conspiracy of man to make it stop. Thousands of years have gone by and God has not allowed this message to be silenced. There have been civilizations and are, there are still civilizations today that are attempting to silence this message. Entire countries that have made it illegal to own one of these and to read one for yourself. But God, even in those places, has convinced people to sneak them in and has convinced people to meet secretly in their basements or in their houses with the lights off whispering the songs of praise as they worship the Lord together and reading pages of these words, tearing them out and hiding them in their pockets so that they can pass them around to each other in secrecy. God is continuing to propagate his message in spite of all the people in the world who would love to see it destroyed. This is about God loving the world enough to make sure his message gets to all so that they can hear it. That's how much God loves the world. And even though people hate him, God still wants them to hear the gospel, that they would know it and be saved. God will not be silent. So look at their message. Their message was a, uh, uh, they were preaching the truth about God and they were preaching the truth about men. That's how simple it was really wasn't super complicated. They were saying, this is who God is, and this is who we are. Now, as I pointed out last week, they, it, they were a little blunt about it, you know? They said, you guys are the ones that killed Jesus. You, dis, you delivered Jesus over to be arrested and punished and crucified. You disowned him. You chose, you chose a, a murderer to be released instead of the righteous one. And then the, he... He called them ignorant of the truth. And this, in the course of this sermon, I think like three or four times he's reminded them that they're the ones that killed Jesus. All right. So I just think, you know, it's, he's not really trying to um, make them feel good with his, with his sermon. He wants them to be saved. Sometimes making people feel good doesn't lead them to salvation. It just makes people feel good about the thing that's killing them. 
He's saying, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to be saved. I want you to have life. I want you to be resurrected from the death that you're living in. And so he, he preached the truth about who God is and who they were. But he didn't just call them names and call them sinners and call them ignorant, tell them and accuse them of being the ones that crucified Jesus. He said, I want you to know the resurrected Jesus Christ will save you if you will believe in him. Several times he's already said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And he told them to repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then here in verse 12, he says there is salvation and no one else. There is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. He's compelling them. He's pleading with them. He's crying out to them. Even though they're threatening to throw him in jail, he's still pleading with them to believe in Jesus. That's the message. And that's not just Peter's boldness. Again, that's God refusing to be silenced. God is preaching to these people, even while they're trying to persecute, arrest, maybe kill God's messengers. God is still preaching to them and pleading with them to be saved. That's how much God loves us. Even while we are sinning, God loves us. And he preaches to us that message. So there are two responses that I see in all this. Um, if you look at verse 21 and 22, um, it says, When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them. So legally, they couldn't find a good reason to keep them, so they had to let them go. All right? So then it says, on account of the people, because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. Also, there were about 8,000 people or more at this point gathered around praising God and glorifying God. And if and they were worried and a little bit scared that if they threw these guys into jail, they might have a, a for real uprising on their hands. You know, thousands of people that now believe the gospel. So they're like, you know, we're going to have to let these guys go. But this is, but notice that it says that they were all glorifying God for what had happened. And then verse 22, it tells you that the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was performed. So two responses we see. One is there was a very clear response of the religious leaders and, and other people that uh, when, when Peter first started preaching, they thought they were drunk, you know, and accused him of being drunk, you know. And then here uh, they're, they're really mad and they're really upset. And in verse, in chapter 4, um, Let's see, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, it says being greatly disturbed. They heard the gospel and they were greatly disturbed by it. They saw the effect of the gospel and they were greatly disturbed by it. It bothered them. They hated it. You know, and that's, and that's the truth. You know, when, when we're still in our sins, sometimes the first time that we hear about our sins in truth, it greatly disturbs us and it makes us a little angry and we get a little defensive and it makes us kind of, you know, mad at whoever's telling us that truth. And we think, you know what? I just need this to stop. I need this to stop so that I can go back to doing what I'm doing without thinking about what I'm doing. All right. Uh, or it's just a complete disbelief. I don't believe this. Well, in this case, these men, they didn't believe what these guys were saying. They didn't really have a way to explain it, but they didn't believe it. And they were greatly disturbed. And then they sought to silence it. 
And I think sometimes we, if we're not making a concerted effort to silence those who are telling us the truth, we're at least trying to silence our own ears from hearing the truth. So that is one response that a lot of people give to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a response of being greatly disturbed, being uh, in disbelief, and just shutting your ears off to it. And the other response that we see where there were thousands of people that were, um, that, that were believing, crying out to the name of Jesus Christ for salvation and glorifying God for what had happened. There's really only two responses. You can believe or you can reject it. And it's not, it's not complicated as far as knowing this salvation. Um, sometimes I think we think in order to be saved, or maybe some religions have even taught us this, or the way that sermons have been preached in the past have led us to believe that, that we've got to do a lot of things in order to have God save us. And that leads us to kind of say, well, I need to get my, right, my life right first, and then maybe I can come and commit my life to God and be baptized and be part of a church and all the religious things. And that's backwards. According to Scripture, we come to Jesus. We come to Jesus. We trust in him. We believe on him, and he saves us. And then he fills us with his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit gets us right. Because we will never get our life right. We will never get our lives right. The Holy Spirit lives in me. But I'm still struggling with this flesh. This flesh daily compels me to do things that are not right. And if it were up to me, I would have ruined my life a long time ago. But the Spirit of God has led me to where I am by God's grace. And I would just plead with you. If you're at all wrestling with your salvation, cry out to the Lord and believe in him and trust in him. And scripture says you will be saved. Scripture says you will be saved. So for the believers in the room, these are some things I'd like to invite you to pray through. Um, having seen a little of what's taken place through Peter and John's arrest and their release. Um, pray for boldness and confidence in God's word and in the name of Jesus Christ. Pray that God will give us all individually. It's not just for the preachers. It's for all the believers. We all together are the witnesses of Jesus. So I, I'm, I'm crying out to you guys. Ask the Lord to help you be confident in the power of Jesus' name. Believe that when you continue to share Jesus with your loved ones, with your coworkers, with the people you're around, that God can save them. God can change their minds, even if they're very affected by our culture's ways. And then pray for God to change hearts and minds. God has done it before. He can do it again. God continues to work. God continues to change people's hearts and minds. We continue to see people saved. Pray for that. Pray that God would do that and pray that God would use you to be part of it. And then pray that uh, God will not be silenced by the religious and legal establishments of our, of our time. I think, uh, and I don't, I'm not, uh, I'm not too far out on the limb, you know, when I say that I think that there are concerted efforts in our country to silence the truth. And I think it's okay for the church to pray that God will not be silenced. We know he won't be, but it's good for us to pray that God will allow us as believers to continue to bring the gospel into the darkness of our culture, even if 
there are people attempting to silence it. Pray that God will not be silenced and he will use us to bring that, to continually bring that message out. Um, pray that God will help us to not be silent. And I think that's a, um, in terms of not being afraid. I think fear leads us to being silent. Fear leads us to kind of hanging our head and sheepishly acknowledging what we believe and trying to tiptoe around people's beliefs. And um, I do think we're supposed to speak the truth and speak it in love. We're supposed to be kind, but pray that God will help us to be bold enough that we won't be affected by our own fears and silenced as a result. Um, and uh, pray that God will help us to obey him even when nobody else does. Even when nobody else does. I love the response of Peter and John. It's one of my favorite stories because Peter says, we cannot stop speaking about what we've seen and heard. They said, you have to stop. He said, we can't stop. What are you going to do about it? You know, they were willing to accept whatever punishment. Just pray that God would give us that same courage with the truth. And I invite you to pray for your hearts and pray for the hearts of those next to you as we close. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.